ready, it's time for another LAFC podcast. The 2016 wrap-up coming to you almost live from K-Town. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of LAFC podcast. We have a very special guest today, Alicia Rodriguez from Angels on Parade. Welcome to the show, Alicia. Hey, thanks for having me on. Just to dive right into it, this episode is really kind of look back at 2016 and a look forward to 2017. So just start off by asking you, what are some of the big highlights from 2016 for you? Well, I think obviously the biggest one uh, is probably the stadium. Uh, the fact that, first of all, they got the permissions all lined up and everything was you know signed off on by the local governments and whatnot. And then uh, taking over the site and then starting on uh, construction. Um, you know, there's there's been a a number of uh, stadium projects around MLS the last couple decades, and I think the you know the movement on this project is obviously a really good sign, and uh, hopefully this is a good sign for uh, the team being able to play uh, in the stadium starting you know from from day one or as close to day one as possible. A lot of talk is made about the stadium being built. Obviously, that's a huge, massive accomplishment. Uh, people who don't live in S- Southern California or specifically Los Angeles don't realize just how tough it is to get something like that done uh, with all of the layers of approval that you need to get. But uh, getting into more sp- the stadium more specifically, um, what are some of the things that really stand out to you as far as design highlights go? Is there anything on your wish list that you're not seeing? Uh, just more specifically in terms of the design of the stadium, uh, what are your reactions? Well, I'll be honest, I haven't uh, gotten any uh, indications of what the press box is going to be like or, you know, the spread for the uh, for the food or anything, but hopefully that'll be pretty cool. Um, no, I, but seriously, I think um, I think it's pretty cool that the, the, the stadium's going to be pretty steep as far as, uh, you know, the seating. It's not going to be kind of the, the chill, uh, you know, laid back kind of uh, approach that I think most American stadiums have, have used. It's going to be in line with what uh, San Jose is doing, and I believe it's going to be even steeper than San Jose's stadium. So uh, it's probably going to be a little bit freaky the first time, you know, the first couple times you go in there and sort of sit down. But uh, I think it's going to be pretty cool as far as, you know, being close to the stadium and uh, close to the action. I mean, the, you know, the field and seeing, you know, being able to see the, the game really well. Other things, I mean, I think the, the stuff with the supporters section uh, that's been mooted, I don't know if it's uh, necessarily a done deal, but it sounds like, Supporters are going to have some safe standing options. Uh, I think they're still kind of working through those, but the fact that the the team and the architects are uh, in contact with the supporters and trying to figure out the setup that's going to be the most workable for for all parties, I think is pretty cool. And I've heard that they're going to do a a supporters only bar, which is kind of neat. Um, you know, sort of a I think every every stadium, every MLS stadium these days is doing some sort of variation on. You know the outdoor bar, the supporters club, and you know they're they're sort of in line with that. But I still think it's cool that they're uh, aiming to do something to, uh, I guess, take care of the supporters and the people who are doing most of the work as far as building the atmosphere inside the stadium. So that's that's pretty cool. But uh, I'm wondering what you think as far as uh, you know, kind of what what you what you want, what you like, what you wish would happen as far as the stadium. Well. Um... 
I I think everything I've seen as far as the renderings looks uh, great. Uh, One thing I do have an issue with, uh, I get it, and they seem to have done a fairly good job of it. I'm certainly not a huge fan of uh, field level boxes. Uh, There's which is definitely happening. Uh, There's a lot of luxury boxes uh, just in general, which you know. Given the climate of the team and the ownership group, that's not really surprising. But to see them field level, uh, I think that, you know, San Jose's stadium is beautiful. Uh, They did a really great job with it, but I haven't actually been there in person, so it's pretty stupid for me to say, honestly. But from what I see on TV and from what I've read and of other people's reactions, that's really kind of a damper on the atmosphere. A lot of the people who are closest to the field and should be most excited... uh, or, you know, oftentimes people who are having an also business meeting or, you know, kind of half paying attention. So that's, I think that that could be an issue. Um, hopefully not. Uh, that's one of the only things that looks negative to me. Um, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be a negative. But, you know, the level of feedback that they're getting from the supporters as far as the whole supporters end goes, uh, I think, you know, whether that's safe standing or rail seating or whatever is it's going to end up being, you know, or a hybrid, uh, that's still up in the air a little bit. How many seats it's really going to be, how whether it's you know corner to corner or just a few sections, I think is all a little up in the air still. But either way, they certainly are taking unprecedented level unprecedented levels of feedback as far as seeing what the supporters specifically the supporters groups not necessarily general supporters but the supporters groups what they want and what they need uh which is a really great thing yeah on the field boxes i mean i agree with you um i think houston has the same setup and i mean it looks like a drag on tv uh you know you you just see like a bunch of empty seats most of the time and i mean that's one of the problems with houston stadium in general but the people who are probably inside like munching on prawns and watching some other sporting event, you know, who could be outside watching the game aren't. And, uh, that, that's kind of a drag, but, uh, you know, hopefully, I mean, I I think, like you said, it's sort of inevitable. So there's not really, you know, we can't really sort of wish it away, but, uh, you know, hopefully the, the folks who do show up to the game will be engaged and, you know, still into it, no matter if, you know, how much money they've paid for, for their seats. No, I mean, certainly that's the hope, uh, and ultimately, you know, that the team needs to make money, so I don't fault them for it, uh, although, you know, there is, there certainly has been renderings that initially came out, uh, and even some of the more recent ones that didn't show the field level, uh, boxes, so... I feel like that was sort of uh, kind of snuck in a little bit, but uh, but at the same time, uh, everything else looks great. And ultimately, it's you know as I'm going to do my base best impression of a real estate agent. It's ultimately it's location, location, location. So yeah, uh, and you you really can't beat the location, and that's a huge, huge uh, you know feather in their cap, especially comparing themselves to the galaxy. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, with the connections to uh, the transit options, I mean, I think that that's really exciting. And, you know, time will tell how many people actually take advantage of the public transit uh, to get to the stadium. But uh, having that available, I think, is is really key. And it's it's something that I think every, you know, sports team in the area is going to have to 
pay more attention to moving forward. So the fact that they're, you know, clued in on that and, and uh, Metro is expanding their lines and stuff, uh, you know, seems to be kind, kind of coming together well. And, and that should help uh, bring, you know, folks from the city uh, to the games, which I think it would be great. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, all of that is great. And in general, you know, bravo for everything to do with the stadium. But ultimately, the stadium, even though it's a really, really major undertaking, is still only one small part of the puzzle, uh, especially as far as fans are concerned. Um, so there's there's a lot of other work that needs to be done, and um, which brings us to a lot of other topics. Most notably, you're certainly very close in following USL developments, and one of the big things that I really wanted to talk to you about is the USL and the USL affiliation, which should be forthcoming. Do you, Where do you think that lies? Do you think they're going to partner with the Blues? Do you think they're going to take over the Blues? Do you think they're going to do their own thing? Uh, if you had to place a wager right now, what would you expect? If I was placing a wager, I would probably say that they'll do a partnership and most likely with Orange County. Um, you know, I, I think that probably long-term they will seek to start their own uh, team. It seems like nearly every team is, is going in that direction. Every MLS team is going in that direction. There's going to be a few holdouts, but I think most of those teams are going to be the cheapest ones. And I think LAFC is trying to show that they are not uh, – you know, they, they, they haven't given any indications that they plan on being cheapskate. So it seems pretty likely that at some point they're going to start their own team. But I think I think there's a good chance to start off, off with. They'll probably do a partnership. And um, the Blues recently got a new owner uh, a, a few months ago, and they're going to be going through some changes themselves. I think had the uh, LAFC bought the Blues outright, um, you know, the, in the past few months, uh, you know, it'd be a different story, of course, but they didn't. They, there's a new uh, separate owner who is not part of LAFC's ownership group or anything like that. So I think they're going to stay independent. But uh, I, I do think there's probably going to be something of a relationship between the teams. And if not, I mean, suppose, you know, LAFC and, and the Blues don't get along for, for some reason or something. There are other options. There's a team in Arizona. There's... Um, you know, other teams that are cropping up. I mean, one of the things with USL right now is that they could potentially be adding, I mean, several more teams uh, in the next year, depending on what happens with NASL, whether that league uh, survives or not. So in addition to the MLS two teams and kind of the expansion that the USL is doing itself uh, with independent teams, there's a, a decent chance that this, league which has grown substantially in the last three years could continue to explode in um in growth and uh you know we'll have to see where, where lafc lands on that on that spectrum but uh i think eventually they're gonna end up starting their own team what do you think as far as that goes i mean what is, what's your inclination there i don't really know i have to assume they want to start their own team uh, part of that is not really having the facilities lined up for it, uh, which kind of goes into the lack of training facilities agreement, which is still a major issue that's uh, sort of hanging over them. But uh, I don't know. I, if, to me, I would be very disappointed at this point if they end up partnering with the Blues 
uh, and for a few years and then starting their own team because is if that is what happens, which you know I'm, makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. But if but if that is what happens, it should have happened a long time ago. I'm certainly one of many who you know thinks this is a major major misstep where they really dropped the ball. They could have had a team on the field uh, that people were supporting and going to see for the last year, and for they could have had that in 2016, and they certainly should have had that in 2017. So to miss that opportunity if, uh, and then end up partnering with the Blues and it, uh, is is very odd, at least, you know, in best case scenario, that's an odd decision, uh, if they end up doing a partnership, uh, and, but delaying it until 2018, or who knows when, uh, who knows if they'll even have it, I mean, well, they have to have something in place, but, uh, per MLS agreements, but to miss out on all that, uh, time to have had a team on the field and been developing players, it seems like a, a huge mistake. Yeah, and I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, I don't think that uh, had they started a USL team and, you know, stocked it full of players, they would have had a lot of uh, potential, you know, players who'd be be able to make the roster in 2018, the MLS roster, but you might have been able to find a few, you know, you might, you might have been able to, you know, sign a, a couple guys who you really think were promising but needed some some game time and you know, with with some action on the field, they could have given you a you know a definitive answer if if they would be able to to be squad players or not. And you know, so yeah, I agree in that respect that it's a, a missed opportunity. I will say that had they gone ahead and fielded a team, and I agree for for reasons of sort of allegiance and and trying to bring fans in, you know, it, it's a good magnet. It would have been unprecedented. I mean, no other MLS team has done that. Uh, you know, where they are a brand new expansion team and then they organize a, a USL team before they start playing play MLS. I mean, obviously other expansion teams don't have as long of a, a run-up to the start of their team as LASC has, so I guess in that respect they're pretty unique. Yeah, yeah, well that that's it. That's exactly it. And uh, again, you know, Assuming a rather pessimistic perspective, LAFC was also supposed to start their MLS team in 2017. So to have neither USL or MLS, even though it would be slightly different, other than the USL teams that have made the jump from USL to MLS, including teams like Orlando, who, you know, did extremely well by comparisons to previous expansion teams where the expectations are relatively low, done a great job. Part of that was making the jump, having a fan base already in place by the time they mm-hmm. played their first game. Uh, so, y- yes, it, it is a unique situation all around, but still, you know, it's, it's just a lot of time to go by with essentially, at least as far as most people can see and we can observe in what's tangible, th- there's not a whole lot happening other than the stadium. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to see at this point. I mean, we're sort of stuck in a in a holding pattern right now, and you know, the, I think the next big step is waiting for the the players to get signed and waiting for a coach to be uh, hired. And you know, obviously, not all the players are going to be signed until over a year from now. But you know, at least starting to get a, a handful of guys in, um, and we're just kind of sitting here. You know, it's sort of like, okay, you know, this team's coming in 2018, and like you said originally supposed to come in 2017 and I understand on a practical level for the 
for the stadium, you know, that wasn't going to be possible to do it for next year. But, you know, from my vantage point, sitting here waiting and waiting, waiting, it's, it's, you know, it's a long time. And, and so being in this sort of holding pattern, uh, is it, yeah, it's tough and it's tough to kind of, um, you know, reach out to fans in some respects. I mean, in some ways the team's in sort of a weird spot because, you know, they can organize like, uh, social events and stuff, but it's basically like a social club right now because there's no team, there's no players, everything's theoretical. And then when the players start to get signed, I mean, how are people going to react? I think in some cases the, you know, the fans are going to get excited and new fans are going to come aboard because they're going to be really jacked that they're, you know, new, their favorite players coming to the new team. But there's also going to be people who are like, that guy, ugh. And, you know, they're going to have to deal with the fallout of, the actual rubber hitting the road as far as building a team. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's, that is definitely, you know, a huge issue, uh, especially if they do take the approach where thinking about recent history, history of expansion teams, uh, you know, it's especially specifically NYCFC, which would, you know, to me be, be the best comp. I believe what would be equivalent to this March is when they hired Jason Christ. So in my the interview with Tom Penn, he said, no way essentially, but uh, in recent interviews, he's, you know, opened the door for sign and loan possibilities, so whether something could happen in January or or not uh, is is really interesting to see. I, I mean, I, I think they need something. I think they need something to talk about. I think they need a manager, uh, you know, by the time, you know, by summer at the latest to really start putting pieces together because there's a lot of work to do uh, and to really just energize the fan base and start getting you know because uh, as we know and as we've seen with a lot of other teams some with more success than others getting those people who put down a ticket deposit uh to put down substantially more money to buy actual season tickets is is you know no small task yeah and i mean there's also people who you know are, are going to be weird and sort of their expectations you know for lack of a better term i mean you know, I I wrote something recently about the the pl- the rumored players that the team was going after, or you know, ex- considering uh, Rooney, Fabregas, uh, who were the other two, Chicharito, and who was the fourth one? Oh man, I'm blanking. Um, anyway, the the big stars. Uh, oh, uh, Modric from uh, from Real yeah. Madrid. Right. Um, you know, and and I mean. Obviously, we know there's going to be stars that are going to be signed by this team. I mean, it it has to happen. We know that that's what you know that's going to be a, a component of building this club. Uh, but I had people who were responding like, "We only want California players and local kids," and it's like, okay, I get what you're saying, but you can't start a team in Los Angeles where there's another team already here, and uh, you know use local kids to to really capture the hearts and minds i mean i'm sorry it's just not gonna happen and you can you can have some of those kids but you're gonna have to have some stars alongside them and you know that's just the kind of the market mechanic so it's gonna be really interesting when they you know start really building the roster and getting people who i think the the team has really tried to reach out to people who are like soccer fans for other leagues and um you know, try and convert them into MLS fans. And so, you know, what does that mean for when there's actually an MLS roster? It's it's going to be interesting to sort of see uh, fans who are like, yeah, I'm all about LAFC, kind of see the, 
you know, the the, the players who are going to end up being on their team. And I think in some cases it's going to be like, hey, this is what I signed up for. That's great. And I think in other cases people are going to sort of, you know, I don't know, kind of turn their noses up a little bit at the product. And, um, you know, it, it, like I said, it's just going to be interesting to sort of see how, how the reactions kind of, you know, come together based on the decisions made so far and the, you know, the timeline of, of building the team and, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and you, and you bring up an interesting point of, you know, how they're playing that as far as they're playing their marketing approach and how their their whole approach as far as that goes and their way of launching this brand is uh, very interesting. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talented people there who have had success in the past, but, you know, there's, in my eyes, a lot of extremely questionable decisions Uh as you know and have heard me whine a little about uh you know for instance the upcoming this weekend they're doing an event for the el clasico instead of doing a viewing of the mls cup final uh which to me is really infuriating uh not to overstate it uh you know they're, they've got te- over 10,000 probably shooting for 15,000 people by the end of the year who've given them money because they're interested in MLS and watching MLS, but uh, choosing to have a regular mid-season La Liga game as your event versus an MLS Cup final, very bizarre to me. So do you think they're doing that in part so that uh, people don't see like the teams playing in the final and kind of be like, oh, I'm going to be a Seattle fan or I'm going to... I'm gonna be a Toronto fan now, and you know they just want to like hold off on on that possibility. What do you think? No, I I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think I think they're I think that they underestimate how much people are interested in MLS. I think that they're trying to uh, still paint with the broadest brush they have, attract the widest audience, and uh, the people who are, which we know is a huge you know population of people who are interested in the sport but aren't interested in MLS but at the same time it's that I get that a year ago but when you're at the point that you've taken money from 10,000 people to not be supporting your own product in the league in which you will be a part uh is is just crazy to me yeah yeah I mean it's it's interesting, and I, I think, you know, I like the fact that they're doing some social events and, you know, having watch parties in general, uh, you know, supporter events, the the black and gold rallies, they've done a couple of those. I mean, I think it's great that they're doing social events and trying to get different groups of people out, uh, you know, to, to mingle and sort of get to know each other. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it's a, it's a, a salient point that you make about uh, the interest in, in MLS and maybe uh possibly being uh i guess a little more trustful of the uh, of the mls product and and you know not necessarily uh degrading that um you know before you step foot in the league <laughs> right well and also you know as it pertains to signing players too it's like oh well we all watched Barca and Real Madrid and suddenly the expectations are you need to sign a player from Barca or Real Madrid like that's why we're having this event right because one of these guys is going to play for us (laughs) later you know like it's uh, you know like that's going to be very tough in uh, in terms of you know the various cultural club ethnic nationalistic fan bases that are all coming together who really 
are only going to build more and more hopes that one of their own is going to be on the team, uh, which can end up becoming very divisive uh, when it could be something that's really rallying people. Uh, Which brings me to another point. Uh, We're right a day after the LA Galaxy's Chris Klein doing his media powwow yesterday and saying ultimately he's not interested in anything that LAFC is doing and well not quite that extreme but that was the gist of it and uh but they're in a very uh odd point they get a, they're going to have a new GM they just announced who's never been a GM before uh they're looking for a new coach and they need two designated players uh all of this being happening uh, in preparation for their final season of having a monopoly over Los Angeles. What do you think they're going to do, and what do you think they need to do? Well, I'm not sure what they're, what they're going to do. I think that's the big question. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating time to me, uh, you know, looking at the galaxy, because I think Bruce Arena was kind of, is basically the only coach in MLS who... You know, you, you felt pretty confident that he knew exactly what he was doing as far as picking up players and as far as, uh, you know, leading his team and, and getting the job done. Um, you know, he had his, his peculiarities like any other coach, but, I mean, his track record speaks for itself, and it, it's, it's pretty imposing, uh, let's say. And so to lose him, you know, that's, that's huge. That's, that's really a, a, a big, big deal. Is it possible that the Galaxy could get a, you know, a new coach who is going to, you know, kind of keep the ship rolling along and, and no problems? Yeah, it's possible, but it's you don't have kind of the certitude that I think you would have had had he continued on. I mean, I think I was starting to wonder when exactly he was going to retire, and I think now in hindsight that he's taken over the, the national team job, I think maybe he was sort of waiting to see if there's a possibility he could have another chance at that at that job and you know ultimately he got it um but yeah i mean it it's interesting cuz we're sort of at a stage where the galaxy could uh you know sort of kind of stay the course and and hire a, an internal candidate and kind of keep things humming along as they were doing before or they could look for somebody outside and and kind of try to you know, rebuild in some respects. Um, but I think the period of uncertainty is is here and whether or not uh, Chris Klein, you know, is concerned about what impact that has on LAFC or not, uh, I think that that could, you know, the, the, the consequences of the decisions they make could potentially have huge impacts on, on how the uh, balances tip in, in either direction, you know, as far as soccer in LA. So it, it's a huge 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 deal as far as i'm concerned yeah i i agree it's uh it's something i'm really surprised isn't getting more discussion and more attention because uh ultimately let's say it even if it makes a lot of uh sense in terms of the product on the field in terms of wanting to win games and have a cohesive team and uh but who knows even what style their new coach will want to play and whether the players they have will fit that um but say they promote from within house to a, a new head coach or pick up like Siggy Schmidt or someone uh, like that who they have a previous relationship with. Um, and then they have two DP slots, you know, say they, you know, get 
some sort of run-of-the-mill type DP selection. Like to me, the fact that they would consider doing that with LAFC on the horizon is just short of unfathomable. Because I, I really feel like, uh, in terms of maintaining market share, uh, getting people to come out uh, once LAFC is, you know, an option, it's going to be completely different. I, I, I thinking that they that it's there's a solid chance that they're not going to go after a coach and or two designated players that are major household names is uh is really shocking to me yeah and i mean i think another thing to consider is you know for most sports fans i think tying your allegiances to one team is you know is sacred and so if you're rooting for one team you know you stick with that team through thick and thin but there's a lot of people and I think a fair amount of Southern Californians who, you know, sort of goes for the team that's winning, you know, winning at the time. And so I think there's going to be, there's obviously going to be hardcore fans on rooting for each team. But there's also going to be a, a, a segment of, you know, casual fans who aren't really locked in as far as their allegiances, who are going to kind of sway with the team that seems to be playing the best and, you know, kind of doing, doing the most, uh, exciting things and that's going to be a group that is going to be really important I think for both teams you know obviously you want as many loyal fans as possible but there's going to be people who are checking in and out periodically and yeah if one of the teams we I mean we should say too if LAFC gets off to a really rough start you know that's going to dent their chances too um, of really capturing that market but depending on how it, it turns out for both sides I think is going to play a big role as far as capturing those those eyeballs uh in the area for sure and uh and then also another interesting point is you know whether they could potentially be going after some of the same people and what sort of uh you know situation that creates like the jermaine jones coin flip or yeah uh you know whether that could really uh create an interesting true rivalry right from day one if that gets nasty yeah, and I I think it, it's bound to happen at some point. You know, there's if if uh, the Galaxy no longer have a, a monopoly over being like the destination. You know, when it when a player is linked to L.A., you know, I want to play in L.A. or New York or whatever. Um, if there's another team competing for them, then obviously it's it's gonna heighten the uh, you know the competition considerably, and you know the teams are gonna have to work hard in a lot of different ways. Uh, to differentiate themselves and attract those players and within the weird system that is MLS, of course. As far as the Galaxy goes, with their DP signings uh, and coach, uh, if you were to, making it a black or white choice, if you were to guess, would you say they're going to go for Beckham, Keane, marquee coach level signings, or do you think they're going to... do something a, li- a little less extreme. I think they're going to probably hire a coach either internally or somebody who's working in MLS or recently worked in MLS. And then I think they're going to try and go for as big a player as possible. Um, you know, maybe like a a Beckham esque DP, and then maybe you know somebody who's pretty good, but maybe not quite at that that level uh, as far as the DP. So I think they're going to probably try and split the, split the difference, you know, the, the big players, but try and keep the continuity going. I think as far as the coach goes. Yeah. Changing the subject just a little bit, P 
people are also very much interested in the academy. Uh, I know that is something that you keep a close eye on. When when do you expect that to really ramp up? Uh, and we're, how do you feel about the we've only got one academy team approach? Well, I think uh, they're probably going to ramp up a little bit faster. And I would I wouldn't be surprised if they moved if they had a couple of. Uh, additional age groups by next year and they're going to also launch the you know the girls development academy program too so that's pretty cool um i you know i i've uh i think it's the way that they're doing it um it's going to be a slow build i mean obviously if you're starting with u12 uh boys you know it's going to be years and years before they're uh even approaching you know professional prospect age but um that's, I think, disappointing. I mean, obviously, I think there's so many talented players and banking on kind of, there's always going to be so many talented players. Uh, you know, you may miss a superstar in the making, you know, just by bad timing, you know, kind of bad luck, that sort of thing. But um, I, I think they could have probably moved a little bit faster, but I think the fact that they have the academy running before the team is playing, a couple years they'll, they'll you know, be in the middle of their second season uh, when the, the MLS team begins, uh, I think is a good thing. You know, NYCFC, like you said, was is kind of the closest analog to LAFC. Uh, they just got their, their academy team going. Um, so it took them quite a long time to, to get the ball rolling. And so the fact that LAFC has started, I think, is a good thing. But um, I would guess that they're going to be ramping up the boys program probably by a couple age groups next season. So if that's the case, then the, they would have... Uh, it would be what up to f- probably up to the U14s, um, possibly up to the U16 level if they were really on it. And if they got up to U16 level by next year, then they might be in position to you know be look like looking at homegrown prospects by probably the end of 2018, maybe maybe for the 2019 season. So um, you know it 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 could happen, but. Uh, but yeah, I think if they went only one up one age group next year and sort of just did the natural progression, you know, that would set them back probably uh, a couple years on, on that timeline potentially. And, you know, again, I think that that could be pretty damaging as far as looking for local products and, uh, you know, trying to unearth uh, some real contributors and maybe even a, a, a star. For sure. And even just as far as the practical, uh, weird MLS budget and payroll rules go, it certainly uh, there's major incentive to be developing those homegrown players uh, and have them ready as soon as possible. Yeah, like I've been looking at, um, I've been, I'm working on kind of a mock uh, expansion draft for for one of my jobs, and I've been collecting lists of players, and it's really striking to see the few teams that have like no homegrown players, and then the teams that have like eight homegrown players because most homegrown players are exempt from the expansion draft. So uh, it's an advantage because you can protect more players, um, you know, from, from being selected. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's obviously not going to be like a key component. You wouldn't think as far as all of your roster decision-making, but that's one added benefit that, you know, you can stockpile if you have, if they're good players, you can stockpile them and, and then protect more of your roster uh, in cases like that, and it looks like we're going to keep having expansion drafts for, you know, some years to come. Yeah, yeah. So it looks <laughs> like that may never stop. Uh, 
but you also mentioned a great point. Also, the uh, uh, LAFC has started a girls' academy, uh, which is a really great thing for them to be doing. It's um, really happy about that. But uh, that brings us to the big question of: Do you think NWSL is on the horizon? Uh, do you, you think LAFC is going to field a team? I do. Uh, I you know I I don't have any sort of you know I haven't gotten any off the record confirmation or anything, but uh, all signs point to it happening. Um, and I think that there's a pretty good possibility it could happen as soon as 2018. Um, there has been a uh, an independent report from a, a a guy who covers NWSL who says that 2018 could be the year. And so if LAFC can launch the MLS team and an NWSL team and presumably they would both play in the stadium that they're building right now uh, I think that'd be exciting on a lot of fronts uh, obviously you'd be you know having the MLS team there and, and doing that whole project but you'd also be finally you know fulfilling the market needs as far as uh, women's soccer fans um, you know obviously there was a, a women's pro team here once upon a time that was owned by the the galaxy owners and they were pretty successful in the short time that they were around, but uh, the owners cut bait because of you know the costs and sort of doing a, a you know cost benefit analysis said yeah we're out we're not going to do this so that was pretty disappointing and, and the fact that uh, Southern California is so big uh, for women's soccer and they produce so many professionals and and key contributors on the national team just like the men but obviously the you know the women's team has has brought them <laughs> silverware and. You know that sort of thing. Um, it, it's disappointing that there hasn't been an NWSL team in place in this state uh, yet. So, because of that, you know, lack of uh, anybody stepping up in the meantime, I think that that could really be to LAFC's benefit. And uh, you know, I don't necessarily think that it's going to really tip the balances for the MLS side of things. But I have heard from a few, you know, a few Galaxy fans who have said, you know what. I'm still going to root for the Galaxy, but if LAFC starts uh, an NWSL team, I'm going to root for them because I want to see, you know, good professional women's soccer uh, here in my town. And, and you know, that may seem kind of weird, but if, if that's what I have to do, I'm okay with that. So in that respect, I think that's pretty cool. And I think, um, I think the fact that they've set up a, a girls' academy is a – point blank indication that they want to uh, eventually get into to women's pro soccer and the fact that the NWSL is doing pretty well um, obviously there's still a lot of room for growth and there's um, you know it not all of the wrinkles are ironed out um, but that was the case for MLS at that stage as well um, you know I, I think the NWSL is in a good spot overall so I don't fear that the league is going to go under uh, before 2018 or you know, immediately uh, after LAFC would were to start a team, so that that's good. No, definitely. Um, it's you know, and the demand uh, seems to be there. Granted, it's you know, slightly different story. But just a few weeks ago, I was at the USA Romania game uh, in Carson, uh, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> they, you know, it was Sunday night. I believe it was a Sunday night, or maybe yep. a Monday. Yeah, it was a Sunday night. And uh, you know, there's twenty thousand people there. Yeah. Uh, it, it playing a team in a you know a meaningless friendly, who they had just beat a couple of days before by a big margin. Uh, so 
you know, clearly people are interested. Uh, the crowd was very energized, and you know, and I think even from a more uh, subversive uh, sort of level, you know, th- that's also like a huge bridge uh, for attracting fans who may not other uh, otherwise be drawn to the club. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the example of Orlando City is really good here because you know you had mentioned earlier that they did a really good job of bringing building a fan base in USL and then bringing it to MLS. And I think they exceeded pretty much all expectations as far as the size and the passion of their fan base once they got to MLS. And the fact that they have quickly, you know, within a year of uh, after joining MLS, they set up their USL team and then they set up a, an NWSL team. And, you know, they're really committed to they They already had a girls Academy team and, you know, that was already all set up and everything, but they have kind of a, a robust plan for, you know, being kind of the market leaders and, you know, really setting a stake down in their community as far as being the soccer team. And I think that's really awesome. And I think, um, you know, not everything can be analogous to what's happening in Orlando, but I think that the LAFC can sort of see the example they're setting and, and try something similar and, um, you know, could really pay off in a, in a similar way. So that's, that's pretty cool. Definitely. It's hard to make assumptions, but, you know, I have to assume Mia Hamm is pulling for it, and she's given uh, many indications, uh, not overtly, but subliminally in some of her statements, and, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of people who are really interested. I, you know, I, I hear as much conversation about that as, you know, the Academy or USL, um, for sure. It's, uh, you know, it's a really great thing that I think everyone is cheering for yeah i certainly am <laughs> if you couldn't tell <laughs> yeah well i you know we all are yeah so I'm, i think that pretty much covers everything for now a uh, lot more to talk about hopefully we'll get some huge uh, announcements and have a lot to talk about after the first of the year it's great having you on the show yeah thanks for having me on uh obviously i i love talking about this team and yeah i cannot wait for uh for substantive news and then you know eventually we're going to get some soccer and and that's the thing i've been waiting for the most definitely in one form or another uh it's going (laughs) to happen soon enough yep all right thanks a lot yeah no problem thanks again thanks for listening everyone that's the end of part one of the year end wrap up i'll be back shortly in a few days with part two featuring alex olshansky thanks for listening